for me, although it's been really challenging, knowing how this all took place also has felt healing. And I think hopefully, you know, this and we have worked really hard as a, a core team to bring this information to light so that it can be a, a collective healing. Bonjour, hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Co Primo, Miigwech, for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each and every single week, we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole mess of different backgrounds. We're talking musicians, artists, community leaders, healthcare advocates, educators, just one. A whole chemess. Yeah, just a big chemess. <laughs> uh, and most of, most of these great people have a wonderful mixture of passions, and we talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community, centering around, you know, finding purpose in our lives and amplifying, amplifying Native voices. So we're doing that again. How are you doing, Leah? Doing great. Hanging in there, upright, smiling. How about you? Same, same, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, what I like about this show is personally for me and hopefully for the listener is <laughs> that every episode I'm learning something new through our guests and, you know, their amazing perspective. And I remember one of our recent guests, well, somewhat recently, Tad Johnson came on. Uh, he was recently mm-hmm. appointed uh, as the University of Minnesota's, onto the University of Minnesota's Board of Regents. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, you know, researching for that interview and, you know, coming up, coming upon him talking about the, the Minnesota windfall and land grabs from the University of Minnesota. And it's, it's crazy to me that certain things, you know, that happened in our state's history, ne- didn't necessarily learn that going to the, mm-hmm. you know, in our education system, in my education system. Because you went to the University of Minnesota. Yeah, I went to the University of Minnesota. And it's just kind of weird because I think in general, history of our state and, you know, the interactions of government and agencies with indigenous people have been very lacking for me, uh, at least. And just to hear, you know, some of that history was pretty eye-opening to me. And I I bring it up because uh, our guest today uh, worked on a, a a big project that looked into not only land grabs from the University of Minnesota, uh, but other ways that the University of Minnesota impacted indigenous peoples. And the University of Minnesota is just one of many land grant slash grab, we'll talk more about that, universities in the United States. Exactly. So that brings us, you know, to our guest today, who's done a lot of work in that field, Misty Blue. Misty Blue is a white earth nation citizen who grew up in the Twin Cities and she was recently appointed by the Minnesota, or and she was appointed by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council to be the coordinator of the Truth Project, which is short for Towards Recognition and University Tribal Healing. Uh, the report, which has since been released as of this recording, uh, was released last week. Um, it critically examined the University of Minnesota's impact on Indigenous people in our state, and we'll certainly be diving into that report, what it found, what steps are being taken now. But we also want to learn more about Misty as a person in general and just, you know, what brought her into this work. Um, 
So yeah, in addition to the Truth Project, Misty Blue is also the Evaluation Program Manager at Grassroots Solutions, a Minneapolis consulting agency uh, that's committed, that's quote, committed to building healthy, just and equitable communities, unquote. So just a lot of, a lot to cover. Um, mm-hmm. I know she's done a lot of research on many different things. Um, so uh, we'll cover as much as we can. Uh, and here she is. Buju, Misty. Bonjour. Bonjour. My name is Misty Blue. I am a member of the White Earth Nation. I have descendancy also through Chanchayapi, Lower Sioux Indian community. Um, I'm calling in today from Minneapolis, where I live. Misty, we like to kick off our conversations by seeing what's on the top of your mind. Is there anything that you're just like bursting to get out? I think the the reverberating theme this week has been we're just so happy that this information is finally out there and finally um, this issue is you know getting the visibility it is people are resonating with our work far and wide and that means a lot to us um, you know we've been working on this project for at, at least a year and a half I think even more than that for some for some members of our teams. Well, as long as we're uh, on that subject, let's get into it. Uh, Let's talk about the Truth Project, uh, but before we get into the findings, could you talk, you know, just about how it started and what the project wanted to research and accomplish? I think there's a couple of there's two impetus for this project. The first being the High Country News article that um, mapped land that was expropriated through the Moral Act, and that was in 2020. They published that, and. At the same year, the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council published a series of a series of resolutions for, you know, kind of calling on the university to be better relatives with tribes and with um, tribal members here in the state of Minnesota. Those were sort of the the impetus of this. Uh, Tad Johnson, who is now Regent Tad Johnson, uh, was the office that sort of responded to the call from Mayak and um, him and Anne Gargiola as a research assistant sort of, uh, I guess that responded and and started to think about the issue of university tribal relations. Um, They wrote a a grant proposal and it was funded. And that's when sort of all of this this started. Uh, I started in the summer of 2021 as the uh, project coordinator for the Truth Project, and uh, when I started, I was appointed by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council, and so my role really has been to interface with tribes and to be sort of that liaison between the tribes and the institution. Well, Misty, can you lay a bit of the foundation for the research? Can you talk a little bit about the Moral Act and what is a land grab or land grant university? Yeah, so the, the the Moral Act is a congressional act signed in 1862 um, by President Lincoln, and it essentially, you know, granted land to universities for the greater good. And there's been actually a series of land uh, land grant congressional acts, um, but this one was by far the largest. And the University of Minnesota, you know, was the recipient of that and has uh, received more land and also accumulated more wealth from those land grab um, from those land grabs. In addition to the congressional acts, you know, state treaties helped to uh, move land 
from under the stewardship of indigenous people to the stewardship of the university. And then they were able to uh, choose what to do with that land. So in the case of the University of Minnesota, you know, there was land sales. The land was also leased for for like uh, mining and and or just the mineral rights are leased at that point. And the, the university then is able to use those profits to establish itself. So it's not just like being able to get land and then profit off of it for just like money, but also being able to take natural resources from it. Correct. So things like um, iron ore, uh, timber was a big one. Um, the Cloquet Forestry Center has been, you know, you'll be able to read that piece in our in our report. But that's um, one of the main avenues that timber was was sold. Taconite mineral leasing. Those are the ones that come to mind. Those are the big ones. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Misty Blue, White Earth Nation citizen who was appointed by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council to be the coordinator for the Truth Project, which critically examines the University of Minnesota's impact on Indigenous people in the state. What was striking for me is that, you know, there's not only these land grabs, uh, but there's also revisionist history. Um, can you talk about how how that's involved in this? Sure. So when an institution becomes a land grant university, a land grab university, you know, there um, it's sort of a special history that's touted as like, you know, for the greater good. It's you know, they're allowed special privileges and and able to operate with not a lot of checks and balances, and um, because it's people sort of don't question that. And so what really gets covered up when we use the term land grant is the the violence behind the land transfers and also the way that the the wealth is accumulated and then not not redistributed back to uh, the communities, right? And so if you look at our history as indigenous people here in Minnesota, like there's been a disruption of lifeways. And so that has really had implications for health and well-being as well. If we think about current social determinants of health, um, that all plays a role when uh, wealth and and access to resources is, has not been made available for our people. And you mentioned uh, Tad Johnson, who is past guest on the show, actually. and um, He enlightened me to some of, of what we're talking about today. Can you talk about the U of M's response? I know he's part of the U of M, you know, Board of Regents, but how has the U of, M, U of M's response been so far to this report? So, you know, Tad, Tad Johnson, um, he led the Office of Tribal Nations Relations prior to being a regent. And so he was able to, you know, sh- have leadership for our project and, and be that interface with Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. So very supported, very well respected in the community. He, you know, has a long history of serving uh, our tribal nations as you know, uh, council, legal counsel. And so it was imperative that he was a part of this project because when we were coming out to, or going out to the different tribes to, to kind of raise awareness around this issue. And my role really was to build a strong research team that was completely, that was a native, um, all native research team. It was great to have him there to show that, you know, people trusted him. 
uh, he was appointed as regent last summer and so you know has not been able to to be part of the project since then but our report has our first we hosted a symposium in May of 2022 where we did invite leadership from the University of Minnesota to first hear the findings in a conversational space like we really wanted to open a conversation and say you know this is what we're we're finding this is what um this is what we you know what what can we do with this what do you all want to do with this? Uh, you know, we had a number of tribal leaders in attendance, both um, in person and on. We, it was a hybrid event by invitation only. We invited a lot of leadership from the university. There wasn't uh, a response after that. So I don't. So that was like the first, I guess, that was sort of the first non-response, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, then we wrote the report. We just released it last week and um, the university has released official statement, but we have, our team has not been contacted yet by any uh, university leadership. Um, just quickly backing up uh, to the lamb grabs, uh, Justice mentioned something. Uh, he said one thing that shocked him about the, that whole thing is that the U of M wasn't just getting land in Minnesota. It was universities thousands of miles away in other states two that got land in Minnesota? That's correct. Could you talk about that? Yes. So a lot of this project has been emergent. So when we were uh, looking at land, university did not just, University of Minnesota did not just receive all the land here, but some of our, the land here also went to other universities like um, Cornell, MIT, uh, I think UW-Madison, Ohio State. Um, Those are the ones that come to mind right away. And so we actually have been, our project has been in contact with those, uh, with members from those universities to, to kind of see what, you know, what their leadership is doing around this issue between university tribal relations. Yeah, that's fascinating. I was going to ask something similar because I went to one of those land grant grab universities that benefited from Minnesota uh, native lands. I'm wondering how does this project fit in to the landscape of research on this topic? Do you think other others are other states as involved um, with this topic as we are here? Uh, with the High Country News article, it was very much reach and breadth of the of the issue, right? So they were able to map out um, across the board all the land, right? What our project did was really go deep and look deep into one university and really understand this issue um, from, from deeply and from this one angle. I think that our project serves as an excellent model for others who want to do this work because we had the, the two supportive forces. So in the institution, we had um, the project, and then outwardly, we had the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. And my role, right, is to make sure that people were aware of it, that they were engaged with how they would like to be engaged, and that if they wanted to, they would have uh, people assigned within the university to conduct this research. So often, research is conducted on people on Indigenous people and rarely do, do uh, Indigenous people actually get to drive the research and get to say, like, this is what we found. These are, this is the way that we would like to frame this. These are the words that we would like to use around this this issue. Um, so it was very important for our, 
our research team to move uh, Indigenous people from objects of research to actors and agents of of learning and, and ways of knowing. And do you see other states or other institutions digging deep like you all did? You know, in in the preliminary conversations that we had with um, the other institutions, we contacted people. Uh, I think there was there was some awareness of this issue for sure, and some people were working um, were already sort of working on it, but they maybe hadn't they haven't quite gotten to the level of research that we have yet, and. There was, um, after one of our presentations, it was kind of, it was striking to me. We had a presentation in the fall and another, uh, you know, somebody from another university came to us and they had great intentions. And they said, we also like, don't have any tribes to work with and to contact anymore. Right. There's, I think from their land that they received, like they're, they didn't really have either, either the tribes were displaced or they really did not have uh, contacts to, to work with. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Misty Blue, White Earth Nation citizen, who was appointed by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council to be the coordinator for the Truth Project, which critically examined the University of Minnesota's impact on Indigenous people in the state. How do you feel doing this work? And I ask, I would ask this to anybody because this is historical and present day, an ongoing trauma. Yeah, I feel it feels unsettling a lot of times because we have encountered a lot of uh, really troubling things in the archive. Um, and I think that a part of us, or I'll speak for myself, a part of me has has known the violence in our history, but to see um, the mechanisms through which the violence has happened has been shocking. Um, so we, and... Anna and Adriana can speak to this as well, of course. So our research core team was me, Misty Blue, uh, Adriana Goodwind, and Anne Gargiola. We have uh, worked together in different ways to bring this project from start to finish. But, um, you know, we were able to examine letters, correspondence between regions. We were able to examine um, maps and ledgers to see the way that First, the maps will talk about trees as pine forests, but then once they make it to ledgers, they're talking about like acres of tim- timber, right? So like there's a long, there's like a process of where things sort of get commodified. So I think it's it's those things. Number one, like we can see the violence. Number two, we can see the way that this land and, and all of the beings here become objects and become commodified that was that has been very challenging for me I also feel very proud to do this work I like to talk about it as sort of trauma and generational trauma uh if I refer back to the book of my grandmother's hands by Resma Manikim and he talks about trauma as forgetting so trauma asks us to forget and part of that healing is to remember 
and to contextualize. And so for me, although it's been really challenging, knowing how this all took place also has felt healing. And I think hopefully, you know, this and we have worked really hard as a a core team to bring this information to light so that others can also um, start to, it can be a, a collective healing. You know, we were very intentional about the process of this. So I've spoken a little bit about, you know, our intentions during this. We we knew it was going to be a challenging and we knew it was going to be contentious. And so we wanted to we wanted to make sure that our process of conducting this type of research also we were able to mitigate some of that um, secondary trauma. So we were first of all, we did it collaboratively. We were all sort of in this together. Um, me, Anne and Adriana, but also the tribal research fellows. So those are the, the the people who joined our project, one from each tribe. And we were, you know, held weekly sessions so that we could talk things out between each other. We had a an elder, uh, Lemoyne Point, to come and facilitate some sessions with us to offer emotional and spiritual healing as a collective. Uh, We also advocated for more funding to be able to offer um, one-on-one talk therapy for people who wanted to to have that resource for them to also sort of bolster them while they were going through this as well. So those are some of the ways that we've tried to take care of our, our hearts and spirits while we're going through this. Thank you for sharing that, Misty. I appreciate it. So what's next? Uh, what what are uh, the steps being taken now after the after this report has been released? Right now, we're very surprised by the all of the support that we've received. Not that we didn't, um, like I mentioned at the beginning, this has gone far and wide. Like people have heard about this, uh, I think nationally and internationally now. And so we want to continue to work with the tribes to see how they would like to be supported. We would like to bring more of the stories that are within the 500 page report out. We would like to expand on those. You know, we were able to look at various angles of of university tribal relations. Um, So each tribal research fellow conducted their own tribally based, place based research study on a topic of their choosing. And, you know, people chose different things. There was something about the Quilke Forestry Center. There was uh, a project around dams. There was a project around like burial mounds, some NAGPRA failures. I think all of those deserve more time to, I guess, be known for people to know about this issue. Um, So that's one thing that we know for sure we want to continue to do. I also, you know, we think it's important for others to propagate their own projects from this as it intersects with their own work. Right. So it's not just, um, I think, researchers who who could benefit from this, but I think, you know, legislators, you know, DNR, other universities, um, a lot of people, I think, have staken this. And so it's important to continue to to dig to learn more, but also to act. Um, And so we're we're hoping that the university can can act on some of our recommendations. There's a, a good list um, including reparations and perpetuity, representation, commitment to education as individual and self and tribal self-determination. What do these mean as far as being recommendations and reparations? So we uh, 
we asked all of the tribes that we worked with what they think that that the university should do. We as an internal team also, given the research that we were uncovering, also asked ourselves that question. And these are sort of the, when you roll it all up to high level, these are the, the recommendations that we landed on. They're big and I think they can be broken down into actionable steps. I'd like to see that. Uh, so we have land back. I mean, that's um, one thing the university is already considering right now with the Cloquet Forestry Center. It's in, um, I think it's in legislation or in legislative session to figure out the um, specifics of that piece. But that is something that we've asked uh, the Board of Regents to commit to. Reparations in perpetuity, this, you know, this is really related to the permanent university fund. So as I mentioned, the sales, the land sales that happened at, you know, that wealth transfer moment, um, aka when land was expropriated, all of that, uh, those sales were then moved into a fund, the permanent university fund, where it has to stay on the books in perpetuity that revenue has been able to to um, accumulate interest and accumulate over time and become bigger. And so we've asked that the university commit to annual investment returns of the permanent university fund be diverted to, um, to Native Americans in perpetuity. Uh, representation is the fourth the fourth recommendation that we had. And that really means we want to see Native people uh, at the university, you know, making sure that, you know, staff and students are recruited and retained, but also that, you know, Native people are allowed to lead as well. Uh, The university, the fifth one is commitment to education as individual and tribal self-determination. So the university recently created the um, promise waiver and that is it was enacted I think in or was announced in November 2021 and that is a tuition waiver for Native students and unfortunately right now it is a needs-based scholarship and not an affinity-based scholarship tuition waiver and so I think that the university could go an extra step and create the affinity-based tuition waiver for that piece. And also, you know, Dakota people were exiled from Minnesota. And so the tuition waiver only covers students who currently reside here or current members of tribal nations within the state. So that fails to to include people who were exiled from the state. So there's a couple of steps that, that could be broadened. The next piece is around indigenous research policies. You know, a lot of what we uncovered in the archives, we, you know, we did see like medical experiments on a native people and just, I think, harmful research practices that even by today's standards, like are not appropriate. And so enacting new research policies would, would um, hopefully prevent and mitigate some of the, that harm. And again, there's a lot to learn here. So definitely adopting uh future research is important to this. Yeah. How did you go about this with researching? I know it's really important to have Native researchers as the main drivers of this. Yeah. So I think, you know, I was really set up for success in the way that the grant was written, but I, um, and so some of the pieces were 
that we really wanted to ensure data sovereignty. So that meant writing out contracts with the tribes that, you know, when whatever they research their data and whatever is produced, the report is then their intellectual property versus becoming the property of the university. Uh, it was also important that there weren't within those contracts and those agreements really uh, with the tribes that there wasn't all of these parameters that they needed to to um, parameters and also expectations of them. Again, we want to honor sovereignty and self-determination. And so, you know, if you want to be a part of our project, that means what you choose to research is going to be, you know, it, you have that freedom to do that. And we're not going to be um, imposing this urgency culture on people. Like we want to make sure that we take the time that this project needs to take. And, you know, a lot of I liked to talk about this project as, you know, we're taking cues from the land. So like, how does the land work? How do, you know, what, what is the, the conditions that create a vibrant ecosystem? The university as it stands right now, you know, is not uh, conducive to, you know, a lot of people showing up in different ways. So we wanted to do something different. We wanted to make sure that, you know, people are honored with the expertise and knowledge that they bring. And, you know, everyone has gifts and talents and we want to be able to showcase those. Also, you know, make sure that we're adequately compensating people for their time and their and their uh, labor during our project. So again, we made sure that that was written right into the grant, that this would be subgranted to all of the tribes to make sure that we're not just asking people to give and to you know, the university yet again comes out and then takes more, grabs more, but we're saying, how do we walk into this project in a reciprocal, with reciprocity and with humility? So yeah, those were a couple of, of high high notes about how we were able to approach this. Those are big ways that are not aligned with like typical colonial capital, capitalist settler ways of researching. So I think that's really great. Thank you. And I wrote down, what conditions create a vibrant ecosystem? Like, how can we apply this to our work? I think that's really smart. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, this project is about land, right? So the land had been grabbed and had been stewarded by the university. And it had been looked at as something that was of value and, again, commodified. How do we think about our own teachings and and flip that script for people. How do we, you know, we, as Indigenous people, we have been excellent stewards of this land for such a long time and before that disruption. And so we want to make sure that we're acting um, in a way with more reverence and more honor. Misty, that is, this has been great. So fun to hear from you and really important work. So I appreciate what you're sharing with with the community. Thank you so much for the time and opportunity. It's been great to talk to you and to be able to, I think, get into some of the deeper points of our project. Um, sometimes, you know, the interviews are, are shorter and they want the sound bite. So this has been good. I appreciate y'all for, for telling our story. So you can check out various links to the Truth Project on minnesotanativenews.org. And there you will also see a statement issued from the University of Minnesota in response to the project. 
So thank you to Misty Blue, White Earth Nation citizen who uh, was appointed by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council to be the coordinator for the Truth Project, uh, which critically examined the University of Minnesota's impact on indigenous people in the state. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabin. Gigawabin, man. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.